0: i love I love being here, and it seems like it's been a long time since i've been here and i i'm I missed you and it's nice to be back and I want to jump in life at home for us has been good we, I, I appreciate that you've been you think of us and guys my my youngest daughter got engaged and we'll get married this year and so my wife and I are looking forward to having her out of our house i mean uh there's a, a an advert, an old advert. Uh, in America, we haven't seen in years, but it's a family expression around our house. And the advert is: there's a father, sitting, standing on the on the side of the of the road with his older son. His car is packed, and the the father is saying, "Son, it's it's your mom and I are so deeply uh, touched, and we're we're sad that you're leaving and and going on on a life of your own." and boy says, well, where's mom? And the father says, she's just too upset to come out and say goodbye. So the kid drives off, and then they, they pan to the scene in the house, and the mother has a tape measure out in the boy's room saying, two more feet for a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's kind of our motto these days. Every time we talk about Jenny getting married, it's two more feet for a hot tub. So we're in this kind of a funny stage where we're anticipating this new era of life and wondering what that's going to mean for us. It would be great, you know, I travel a lot and I get a lot of frequent flyer miles and it would be great if I could use them with my wife to come and visit and hopefully that we'll be able to do that. It won't happen this year because there's a wedding. But hopefully once that's kind of done... Maybe maybe you'll get to see Chris. She's by far the, the best part of uh, my life. And um, so all of, I don't know how to do the personal stuff real well. I, it's not pretty good, though, isn't it? I, I did say, I, I, I should have got Dawn to do that for me. Uh, all right, that, it's got that out of the way? Okay, good. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> it's like, I'm trying. Uh, you know, I'm trying to be kind of nice and personal. Okay, that's done. Okay, um... Over the years uh, we've been here with you, we've talked a lot about what the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God means and, and trying to create some, some help for us in navigating how that really works, what that means for us as a church, what that means for the church, what that means for the work that we do into the world I'd like to take that discussion. So if you think about, if you have been around long enough to remember some of the things I've been saying, and it's always been sort of in this direction, right? It's always been sort of outward focused. What I want to do and share with you this morning sort of changes that direction and brings it the other way. If you could call this talk anything, it would be, take the kingdom home. Take the Kingdom Home. The subtitle would be Man Gave Names to All the Animals. I wanted to play, there's a Bob Dylan song, Man Gave Name to All the Animals, and I seriously toyed for a long time with actually having that be the introduction to my talk. Because, you know, there's very few theologians as good as Bob Dylan. But I decided not to. But the talk is How to Take the Kingdom Home, or Man Gave Names all the animals. And I want to start, obviously, by reading you that passage of Scripture that recounts the story of Adam giving names to all the animals. And it's found in Genesis chapter 2. Let's set the scene for a minute. Genesis chapter 1 sort of is the broad brush, broad stroke, brush, brush stroke, whatever the word is, uh, telling of the story of creation. Chapter 2 changes it, it shows the same movie with a different lens right and so in chapter one of the book of genesis it's the here's how it all happened in chapter two we're now just focusing in on one character in the story maybe maybe you could say the main character in chapter one is god the main character in chapter two is adam it's the it's the retelling of the story but with an entirely different focus it's it's now looking at the story from this character's perspective and so it tells about how god creates the earth how god and it the specifics on how adam is created it's the collecting literally of dust and the, and the breathing in of life and the setting of the context in which out of this creation that's already here now, and God takes a specific geographical place and creates an environment for Adam, and it outlines the environment, it outlines the rivers that were there, and the trees, and, the, and how the shrubs grew. It, it's sort of telling the story of how this one character really gets special attention. In the, chapter 1, when God is the, the main character, the main focus of the story, it's all about the things that he does. But in chapter 2, it's how this particular character... This particular creature is different. And how all of the other creatures were just called into being, but not, not this one. This one was, was hand-carved. The actual dust, the, the, the reddish clay... Was formed and into this mold of a creature there was breathed life, and this creature became a living being. The other creatures were living beings too, please. But this one was handcrafted, this mold was was breathed into specifically. And an environment was created for this one. The fields were made, the the garden was set, and into that place, the man was brought. And So I'm picking up the story from that point. And I'd like to read in Genesis chapter 2, Beginning in verse 15, you see the words there, or you can just listen along. The Lord God took the man and put him into a garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, or in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Interesting story, isn't it? Interesting story. And I don't want to explore the sort of more classic Christian themes of why you can't eat of this fruit and what, you know, that part of it has probably been portrayed quite regularly in Christian circles. I want to focus in on the strange reality uh, that Adam gets this opportunity to give names to the animals, And how that reflects, you remember that Adam was called to rule, right? That was the the mission he was given. In this scenario, Adam is amazingly whole. There's not a sinful bone in his body. He's not struggling with his identity. He's not nervous about his future. He's not uncertain about his place. He's quite confident in his calling. And he's got a very clear sense of what he's supposed to do. Adam's pretty well set up for success. Created by God, breathed in with God's life, in full and perfect harmony with his creator, with a clear call and a clear mandate, in a place that has been established by God, this is where I want you to fulfill my calling in your life. Pretty cool place to be. How many of us would say that we always know all of those pieces? Right? So, in New Jersey, where I am from, uh, that hardly seems like Eden. Me, when I look in the mirror, I hardly see what I would like to see so Adam's well set up for success and he's been given a kingdom mandate and provided the perfect place to do it with the perfect commission to accomplish what God has called him to go pretty cool right there's only a problem. And the first thing that you face whenever you try to bring the kingdom of God into your own world is this amazing problem. Even when it seems great, you don't know what you don't know. It wasn't Adam who said, excuse me, Lord, Lord I, while we're talking... I'm not certain that I have the helper that's right for me. Would you send someone to me? It wasn't Adam petitioning God for a need he felt. Contrary to that, he didn't even know it wasn't good. Classic guy. I mean, this is where the stereotype began, right? He didn't even get it. He's absolutely happy. Woohoo! I got a job. I got a world. I got a calling. I got a relationship with God. Woohoo! What could be missing? He's he's happy. He's deliriously happy. But he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And I would like to suggest, first and foremost, please let me establish this context. This is specifically for people who share certain traits with Adam. One, is for people who are absolutely dedicated to see God's will work in their lives and in their world. I'm not talking about winning you to that orientation in life. I am assuming that orientation. So let me clearly say, if that's not the case for you, that's okay. We need to think about that for a minute, but I'm talking to people who want God's best, who see some aspect of what God wants for their lives and they want to go after it. They want to be what God has called them to be. They want to do what God has asked them to do. They are ready to serve. For those people, it is still true that you don't know what you don't know. You... Even if you're not a male, it is possible to be completely oblivious to what your real needs are. You do not fully ever understand what is required to take you from where you are to where you need to be. You don't know what you don't know and Adam didn't know he was setting about in honesty and in clarity to do what God has called him to do but God knew he didn't have all of the right pieces in place he need something else needed to happen so you don't know what you don't know but God brought Adam to the best way to get him from what he didn't know to what he needed to know. And so it's an interesting thing. It's not, I've always sort of pictured it, you know, like there's lions and tigers and bears and Adam says, a lion, an elephant, a orangutan, a pig. Um, it's not that all of the interesting word in the Hebrew, it's not all of the word, all the animals of the earth. It's all of the animals of the field meaning all of the animals that were in the immediate arena of Adam's responsibility. They were all of the things Adam had to work with in life. It wasn't that the giraffes and the hippos came parading by, like, what will you call me? It wasn't sort of like the first scientific experiment of trying to to name all of the genus and species of the world. These were the creatures that Adam was going to come into contact with on a regular basis. These were the the things that made up Adam's world. Adam's, in the arena of Adam's responsibility. And he brings them all in front of Adam. Now, Adam's, I don't know, hours old, we don't know. There's not a stopwatch going here. And so Adam sort of stands in the field that he's now been placed in with a commission to care for, and all these components of that world come into his world. The assignment that he gets, and he's not actually asked to do this, but it's an intuitive rea- reaction. He starts naming everything that's brought into his world. It's an interesting experiment, and and God sort of says, "Whatever the man called it, that was his name." And you know, of course, in the, especially in those ancient. Cultures and ancient Hebrew cultures specifically, that names were important. Names were incredibly important. And names had to do with more than just sort of a scientific nomenclature. They were expressions of something. And so Adam has brought all of the things that are in his world, all of the things that he's supposed to be working with, all of the factors that will influence his ability to accomplish his mission. And all of those components of his world are, in a moment, in an an afternoon or a late morning, we have no idea, they're brought before him. And his instinctive reaction is to let what he feels inside form a word, a phrase because in Hebrew words, could names could be whole sentences. And, and he, he names each of these things. Now, several things are happening on that level, at that moment. Obviously, from, from, a, from a developmental perspective, the, the ability to take what you are thinking and articulate it is a very important human need. The ability to say, because names weren't like you know I'm just going to call that pink it, it was it, it grew out of an understanding of what this thing was or or what kind of relationship or what what need it had or what role it played the, it, names had functional meanings and so it required adam to 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 think deeply about who is this, what is this, and what will I call it and he takes the process of. Consolidating his all of the sensory information, all of the experiential knowledge—even if that experiential knowledge is 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 short, in, al- shortly alive—or all that he's been placed in him by God, a combination of what he's learned intuitively by from God, what he's thought about it in his experience, and what his senses are telling him now—and it all accumulates into a name. Here's the thing that, one of the things that amazes me in this is that God says, whatever you call it, that's what it will be. Whatever you decide it is, Adam, that's what it is. God isn't saying, Adam, I'd like you to call this a pig. There wasn't a right name or a wrong name. There was just the name that Adam gave it. But here's the thing. Whatever name Adam gave it, God said, okay, that's its name. However you take your experience of this, your innate knowledge, your sensory input, however you take all of those and whatever articulation that you give to this thing... I will make it that. That's an expression, at least, of God's commitment to his calling of Adam. Because clearly God could have said, no, 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 I'd like you to meet Mr. Pig. Adam, I'd like you to meet Ms. Cow. Adam, I'd like you to meet Vulture. He didn't. He said, Here's this thing, sort of oddly colored, with a strange tail and a long snout. What do you know about this, Adam? What are you experiencing here? What do you see for this? What will you call it? Adam, here's this bird with big wingspan and a hooked beak and claws and it hangs in the branches. And What do you know about that, Adam? What do you sense here? What do you feel about this? What do you see for it? So what will you call it? Adam didn't know what he didn't know So God sent things into his life. Adam's job was to take those things and call them something. And whatever Adam called that thing, God said, that's what it will become. but the second thing that was happening not only was adam going through this process of recognizing his calling to lead his world recognizing his his need to be uh, uh, fulfilling god's call in this field that he was in but the second thing that happened as he went through all of that is he it, it slowly dawned on him that Wait, wait, wait a minute! It's not like God was saying, "Hey, Adam, do you think you could mate with a pig?" Wait. No. All right. Uh, it wasn't like God was. God was. It wasn't like a. Uh, um, what's the word? It wasn't like a beauty pageant to see who who would win. It wasn't you know uh, the an idol competition. You know, I'm sorry, judges say no, or you're voted off the island. It wasn't that God was wondering, "Hey, Adam, did I make something for you yet?" God wasn't trying to figure out if there was a helper suitable for Adam in this. Adam had to come to that conclusion for himself. He had to go through the process of expressing his his call to be a leader in this world and to to recognize that that part of that job of leading your field is is to give names to the things that are in it. But the second thing that happened... But they realize, oh, wait, wait a minute. I'm, I don't, I don't have, there's no other me. And so, it's not that Adam lays down for a nap, and while he's sleeping, God does the surgery. God causes a sleep to fall on him. Because most of the time, you know, you, you can't offer what you need to take out of you. It has to be taken out of you. You don't volunteer for the process. You are anesthetized through it. But then God takes a rib aside. The word in Hebrew could mean both. It's not a, it's not a medical text. And forms a woman. And then when Adam comes to, there's a human in front of him. And the interesting thing, the first thing that Adam does when he is brought this other thing is name it. He got the idea. And he actually says, this... And the this in that phrase, it just sort of passes by really quickly in English, right? But in the Hebrew, the this in that phrase is like playing back to all of the those that went by, right? So it's a a comparison of that language. And so he says, oh, this, thinking of pigs and elephants and whatever, not elephants, pigs and cattle and birds and, you know, all the field beasts, all those. He said, oh, this. This is me. This is me. What he calls Eve is me. He names Eve himself. And the Hebrew word is the word for Adam is, and I don't speak Hebrew, it's not even modern Hebrew let alone ancient Hebrew but it's something like the word for Adam is something like ish and the word for Eve is isha a feminine me a she man if the word Adam means man the word Eve means she man this a she man we use that derivation in English we say woman and you know, there's jokes, is is it a woe for man? No. It's actually derivation is man with a womb. It's a womb man. It's me. And Adam is brought all these things. He goes through the Exercise of taking all that he sees and he names and all that he feels and all that he understands and all that he sees in the future and he names it. And when Eve is brought to him, he does exactly the same thing. He sees her and says, This one, this one is me. And that's why that's it, that's right. And the two of you together will fulfill my call for your life. And, that, and it's sort of shining a light on that whole process. So let's walk through where we've been to this point. Adam didn't know what he didn't know. So God brought things into his life in order to get him to call those things something. And whatever he called it, That's what it became. I'd like to suggest to you, based on that story, that the way to bring the kingdom into your personal life is to learn how to name the things that are there. Because whatever you name, Whatever you call the thing in your life, that's actually what it becomes. Chris and I had been married, I think it was somewhere between, I don't know the exact days, somewhere between seven and ten years. And I I know it's hard to imagine that, that I would be difficult to live with. But I had a bad day once. And at this particular... <laughs> Thank you. And at this particular junction of our marriage, we, it wasn't working. I wasn't happy with her. She wasn't happy with me. We were fighting all the time. And I was absolutely convinced that she just needed to change. You know. The way I looked at it is, you know, that if you pet the cat from the tail to the head, the cat's not going to like it, right? So every time you pet the cat from the tail to the head, (laughs) so my thing is the stupid cat needs to turn around you don't like it turn the other way <laughs> that sort of says a lot about me doesn't it really so it really wasn't working and it got to the spot where i think in one of our arguments she said like well maybe i should just go call and go away for a couple days and i said oh, "Here are the keys Really loving and kind guy, so uh, so it was not the happiest moments of our lives, and so I have a group of of friends that I meet with on a regular basis, and we share lives so on that meet at that meeting, I decide that I'm, I have to pour all this out because i don 't really know what to do anymore i 'm completely lost, so I tell the whole story to them, trying. Really, my best to be objective and saying how the cat was just facing the wrong direction. And uh, one of my friends at that time, he's the whole story, and he he looks at me and says, "Well, Well, Mark, you know, you know, Chris wants it right. And I don't remember a thing after that. I don't remember anything else that was said. All I remembered is being struck in the heart because I said, I didn't know that. I actually didn't think she wanted it right. And I, I don't know what happened for the rest of that afternoon, and I, but on the drive home, I said, how could this man see my wife differently? And so I repented. And from that day on, I changed my wife's name to the one who wants it right. That changed my whole life. I realized that my job was to give this a name. And the amazing thing is, whatever I named it, That's what it became. Now, I should have known this earlier because many years earlier, when I was first starting the church that I was in, I was away with a group of of guys and we were spending two or three days praying and seeking God, fasting for some just direction in life. And I was at a time where I was personally struggling a little bit with the church that I was in. I didn't think I could lead it. I didn't, you know, blah, 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 you know, all of that, all those issues that go with sometimes feeling like you're in over your head. And I remember saying to God, I'm, I, I don't think I'm the right guy for this situation. And I remember God saying, and I think I may have shared this with you in another context. God asked me a question. He said, who tells the truth? I said, That's, I'm, I'm complaining about me here. Let's keep the subject straight. And he said, who tells the truth, Mark? I said, well, uh, you know, whenever God asks you a question, you know it's not because he needs the answer. And so I said, well, you know you do. She said, so if I say you're the man and you're say, you say you're not the man, who tells the truth? realized that I had given myself a name and what name I had given myself, I had become. Richard and Sue were up here this morning sharing their li- life and when Sue started not feeling well again, they already had an experience that would suggest that this was a a month, month, two-month, three-month process, right? If they were just to listen to the sensory input and to the track record, if they were just to go through all of that, they would have said, they would have named this season three months of doing what we have to do to get by. Quite noble, right? Quite a good thing to do. They could have called it three months of living hell and I wish I could get out of it. No, that's a name. They could call it that and that's what it would become. Or they could say, which was good, well, three months, we do what we have to do to get by and it goes away and we'll be okay. Good name. While they were doing that, while they were letting all of the sensory data of this thing that God was bringing into their lives because they didn't know what they don't know, And so some things come into their lives and they start listening to all the experience, all the sensory input and all of the vision. And they say, yeah, well, we can get through this. Okay, it happens. We'll get through it. But then something else gets born and Richard thinks, wait, wait, wait. Maybe we could call this something else. Maybe we could call this a chance to reach out. And they give it a different name. And whatever they called it, it became. Pretty, freaking amazing. That the way you bring the kingdom home is to realize that everything that is coming into your field is brought to you in part because you don't know what you don't know. And God wants to bring you into leadership in your field. And so he brings things into your life. And he says, what will you And whatever you call it, God says, that's what it is. What if Richard and Sue said, it's three months and we'll do what we have to do to get through it. What do you think it would have become? Three months and they'd get through it. Because whatever they call it, God says, that's what it will be. Once you realize that everything that happens in your world, meaning your personal world, everything that happens is brought into your world precisely because you have wanted to follow Jesus Christ and precisely because you have wanted that your life would count for something good and precisely because God trusts your commitment to him. And precisely because of that, he brings things into your world. Because you don't know what you don't know yet. You cannot be relied upon to create your own curriculum. So God says, here, have one of these. What will you call it? Uh, I'm going to call this a sidetrack that's going to waste six months of my life. See you in six months. Because you're learning how to be a kingdom man or a kingdom woman in your world. And the way that the kingdom expresses itself is in your learning to take what's in you, what your experience is, the sensory perceptions, and your faith and vision for the future, and with everything that happens to you, God is saying, what will you call this? Come on, boy, name it. And when you see the solution, you say, well, that's me. But you didn't know you needed me. Until it came into your world. And when it comes, you name it. Listen. Life is very complicated. It gets more complicated by the nanosecond. There are so many things that happen in a given day, let alone a given year. You don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know. What I do know about you is that you want your life to matter. And I know that about me. And what I know about you as a congregation is that you have committed yourself to serve the purposes of God without regard of personal cost. I know that about you. And it's precisely for that reason. It's not true the second half isn't as true for the people for whom that's not true. But because that is true, God brings things into your world because you don't know what you need to get there yet. You don't know what you need. You think you do. That's like the cat's facing the wrong direction. I says, ah, it's okay. And he brings stuff in. But here's, here's the beauty and the challenge. It's up to you to call it something. Listen, I I hear uh, Judy say, you know, I I wonder who I am now that I'm not working and I'm a mom. There isn't a mom in the room who doesn't go through that. Like, who am I now? And do I have what it takes to do this? Well, you can, what's, what will you call that? What will you call yourself in that moment? It makes all the difference in the world. You may be a spouse. You may be a child. You may be, you may be a partner in a business. You might, I, I don't know, there's so many areas of life. There's so many things that come into our worlds, and we don't know what to do with them. But one of the things that God has asked you to do is to give these things a name. You do internally get it out. This is the opportunity I've been waiting for. This is a learning experience. All of you, there's a zillion and a half people who are educators here, right? Everybody knows that when, in a natural realm, When children are taught that their intelligence is a static thing and they hit a problem they can't solve, they give up because they have have called their ability to learn a static environment. But for the same uh, situation, if children are taught that your ability to learn is determined by how much work you put into learning, they hit the same problem. Most kids say, let's keep at it till we figure it out. Because what they call it determines what it becomes. I'm not trying to be weird here. I am just trying to tell you that in the kingdom of God, things will come into your life. Don't just react. Let faith arise. Let calling come to the surface. And then call it something. And watch what it becomes. This is a season in many ways where the kingdom has to come in as well as go out. You are called to rule as a mom, rule as a dad, rule as a friend, rule as an employee, rule as an employer. You are called to rule in your world, and the way you rule starts with giving something a name. So I'd like to take a moment. I know we're going to worship now, right? Is that? I'd like to just take a moment as we come to to be in the presence of God together and just ask you to ask God, are there names you have given to yourself or to others or to things that have caused those things to, to change? And could you give it a different name? Could you call what's happening in your world right now something else? And let it be a place where you rule rather than are ruled. Let's stand together. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I would have loved to have given you all a little label maker. You know, you could put a name on things and stick it on your... On your, you know, your, your world. But I'd like you to think of yourself as a human label maker. But the first label I'd like you to put is on yourself. And you are to be called. You know, Revelation 2.17 says, Jesus has given you a name that only you will know. Do you you, you hear what that says? He's renamed you. Just like he did with Peter, and he gave Peter a different name, he's given you a name. He calls you something that I don't know. Your best friend will never know. But there is something he calls you. He's given you a name. I'm not saying call yourself by that name, but I'm saying ask him to begin to show you how he sees you and what he would like to call you. Because that begins. You are the kingdom bringer in your own home. Bring the kingdom home. Lord Jesus, will you you walk among us now? I release the spirit of revelation among us this morning. Revelation for ourselves. Revelation for the field we are living in. Revelation for the animals that we will have to work with in our field. Let us see those things, please. Come, Lord. Show us. Help us to name ourselves and name the things in our field. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah.